Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and I hope everyone is enjoying their 4th of July holiday as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 64. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with someone who has taught me as much as anyone about the game of football. His name is Travis Manger. He's the quarterback coach and recruiting coordinator down at Morgan State right now, but he's been an assistant at the University of Maryland as well as at Temple University, where he and I worked very closely together for a bunch of years under head coach Al Golden. I wanted to bring Travis on this week to talk about the process of a game plan. How does it all come together from start to finish? We're going to get into that and a lot more in a discussion that you do not want to miss. Travis sticks around for two technique where he breaks down the mechanics of a three-step drop for a quarterback. Doug Peterson's offense features a lot of three-step drop concepts, so you can get an idea of the proper mechanics you'll want to see from Sam Bradford and Carson Wentz and Chase Daniel this summer in two technique. No Saturday scouting this week since it's a holiday, but I went extra long with Travis to account for it. So let's jump right in to Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, I teased it earlier. Very, very happy to be joined by my one of my best friends, not just in football, but in life. And a guy who's taught me a whole ton about the great game of football. Travis Manger, the quarterback coach and recruiting coordinator right now at Morgan State down in Baltimore. Uh, if you're not familiar, at the F- FCS level, same level as one Carson Wentz, who was the second overall pick, obviously, by the Philadelphia Eagles this past April. Uh, Travis, appreciate the time, man. Uh, good to talk to you. No, appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's been too long. It's ridiculous. I said it a couple weeks ago with Tommy Lawler. It's been ridiculous that we're now this far in to the uh to this podcast and i've yet to bring you on but i wanted to talk to you i wanted to talk to you today you were one of the first people i called when i when i took over eagles game plan which is the show i produce nbc 10 locally here in philadelphia all the nbc affiliates in the region and also on philadelphiaeagles.com and the eagles mobile app and eagles game plan so i'm thinking all right well what can we do centered around that i think fans can can appreciate some of the finer points of what goes into a game plan and i almost wanted to bring you on and just kind of teach fans what goes into it from a to z and obviously you've been uh very very involved everywhere you've been whether it's been at temple university the university of maryland and now at morgan state in the aspect of game planning so take us through it from the very very start what's one thing i usually ask this what's one thing that fans may not know about the game planning process that you think is really really important to start off the bat well the biggest thing that fans i don't think really they can't appreciate because you don't see this is that it all starts the week before. So if the Philadelphia Eagles are, are going to end the year with Dallas and week 16 they're playing Washington, so you're getting ready to play the Redskins it's down in FedEx, but you got Dallas coming up in Philly for the last week. The quality control coaches or the GA graduate assistants in college, they're already looking at the final week. They're already breaking down Dallas while trying to get scout team cards and doing scouting reports and testing tips and all the stuff prepared for that week's game. So it all starts a week beforehand, and the role of a quality control coach in general is something I don't. It's a very vague term that I don't think anyone really appreciates outside of those in the football industry because that person, it's on them. In reality, I've heard a lot of coaches say outside of the head coach and the coordinators, 
your quality control coach or grad assistant is the most important person on that side of the ball because it's on them. So if you're in a red zone and the Dallas Cowboys percentages are saying that they're a cover zero pressure team inside the 12-yard line, you, uh, Doug Peterson's going to game plan a bunch of crossing routes and corner routes and things to beat man coverage. Well, what if it was labeled cover zero, a man, a man, but it's really some form of bracket, ticket fence, cover seven, red zone coverage? Well, that's wrong now, but the quality control coach put it in there so it throws off your percentages. So imagine game planning something, but off percentages, which is what most people do, the game plan off of personnel on defense and percentages on offense and probabilities. Well, imagine if those probabilities are wrong and you're calling plays based on wrong, on, on the wrong coverages or blitz, blitzes you're anticipating. So the quality control coach has got to have a, a, a complicit trust from the head man. You've got to have a strong relationship. That person generally has to have put in their time and effort and work and experience to get to that level, especially in the NFL. I mean, guys leave Division One FBS position jobs to be quality control coaches. Kevin Gilbride Jr. with the New York Giants went left Temple as a wide receiver coach to do just that because you have to really earn it. And the people in the NFL, they make all that money, six and seven figures. They have to trust that the percentages, the scouting reports, and all that information is correct. So on Sunday, when the Eagles whoop the Redskins, 34 to nothing, hopefully, and they got to play Dallas the next week, the coaches can come into the office at NovaCare uh, Monday and grade the previous day's game and then get right on the next opponent. But no, that data is right because I've experienced it. We've all made that mistake as a young grad assistant. I know I'm sure I sure have. Where you plug something in, it's wrong, and the coaches are tired and worn out in the middle of the season or the end of the year, and they're getting on me, and they've got to waste time and wait for me to go in and correct something. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you bring up the, the role of the quality control coach. And obviously here in Philadelphia, that's Press Taylor on the offensive side of the football who's been here for now for the last couple of years. Dino Vasso was hired this offseason to work with the defense. So now for the listeners, you can get a sense of what those two guys are going to be dealing with week in and week out and really are, are working obviously this point in the offseason as well to try and get the team ready for the season each and every week. Let's let's take it through. You mentioned uh, the game breakdowns and how important the data is attached to that. And this this is a process that when you're a GA, you spend so much of your time doing during the season. I've sat in with you when you've done some of these breakdowns, and that's when I, I've learned a lot about the game. T- take us through just the the process of a game breakdown. Some of the uh, the things that go into the the spreadsheets and, and what you're trying to attach to each play. Each individual play has all of this data attached to it. Take us through a game breakdown, really, from A to Z. Okay, so the biggest thing is, so a fan, they just see a play, right? They see, you know, you hear John Gruden talk, talking about the two wide banana or a snag concept or vert, four verticals and all that. That's all fine and well, but when you're breaking down like one of those plays, there are at least I just looked at it this morning at Morgan State in our own filters because we play Holy Cross week one. We have 32 different columns in a breakdown for one play. 32 different things get broken down. I mean, and I'm, and that's, I'm not trying to say that because we're extraordinary or anything because everyone's in a similar capacity. But you're putting everything in from the quarter, the series, the series number, down and distance, Field position. Some people do hash. I, I, hash is more of a defensive thing, I think. Um, you're putting the offensive personnel, the defensive personnel, the offensive formational direction, the formation, a formation adjustment, like is the tight end on or off the ball? 
Is it, you know, um, tight end in the backfield? Are the quarterback and shotgun, pistol, offset, strong or weak? All those little things. Um, a tight end motion, a, a shift by a wideout, um, defensive personnel. I mean, there's like, for a defensive front, we do it about four or five different ways where uh, it's not enough to just, it's not enough for an offensive coordinator or an O-line coach who has to do the run game to just know it's an over-defense or it's an under-defense. That's not enough. You need to know, is it a six-man box, a seven-man box? Where is the Sam or Nickel or Will? Are they in a hip? Are they stacked? Are they, are they over the number two receiver? Uh, or are they over the number three receiver? Are they an apex defender? Um, you know, where, where is, what is the defensive technique? Like we, we're really big on tight end coaches and offensive line coaches are really big on what's the technique of the defensive end playing the tight end. So if I'm Doug Peterson and the defensive end is lining up as a seven technique on an inside shoulder of Zach Ertz or Brent Sellis, I know I can probably run outside zone or pin and pull. If the guy's in a head-up six technique or in a, nine te- a wide nine technique, as Philadelphia fans love to talk about, I know that a pin and pull or an outside zone is probably not great because the tight end can't make that block. So you need to know the percentages of the defensive technique. Um, well, it's, interesting. It's, it's, it's funny, too, Travis, that you bring it up because – uh, I remember, you know, look, you you obviously broke down hundreds and hundreds of games during our time together when we were at Temple, and I would try and sit in with you on them as much as I could, and I would be the guy. You would sit there at the remote, and you'd go through the film. I'd plug in all these all the different data, and there would be times where you'd come to a play, and we would spend, I mean, 12 minutes breaking down the specifics of one play, and it wouldn't even be of a, it might have been an incomplete pass, but it might be all right. Well, what version of cover three is this, or uh, you know, what kind of pressure should we call it? What was the protection call here from from the opponent? Uh, there are some things where you get hung up on, and it's what you said earlier. The data needs to be correct because what coaches yeah. are looking to do is really trying to make cut-ups based off, off of all of these breakdowns. And we'll get into the definition of cut-ups in a little bit. But it's interesting how much time you can spend even just breaking down one single play. Well, the worst thing is with the, with the whole tempo, with like um, all the tempo going on in college and, and the former head coach of the Eagles and everything he was doing, all that tempo, what it does is it puts defensive coordinators in a bind. But what makes breaking down film as, as an offensive coach so challenging sometimes is Defense are trying to get blitzes in. They're trying to still do things, and it's hard for them to get lined up sometimes. And you also have to account for human error, especially in college, where your kids are going to cot, they're going to class, and they have other issues outside of football where it might look like a certain blitz, but you're not sure. So you have to check your safeties. And as a quarterback coach, all you all we spend our time looking at safeties. Safeties can never lie about anything in coverage or defense. Corners can certainly bait you, but safeties cannot lie about what they're doing. So you're always looking at, you know. Yeah, I think that guy was supposed to blitz, but it was so fast you didn't get a chance to fully do it. But a lot of times when you get hung up on one play for 10 or 15 minutes, you're trying to look at all 11 guys and see the essence of it because, like I said, it's got to be right. But, I mean, safeties can't lie, but truthfully, backers have to cheat. You hear performance alignment a lot where backers have to cheat and guys have to get certain ways where where if a blitz is coming from the field, the defensive end is going to tighten up. He's going to really tighten his alignment on the tackle and a boundary defensive end who could be dropped, he's going to be really loose and off the body of uh, the M-man line of scrimmage, the tackle or tight end for that specific reason. And the nose is going to tighten up because he's crossing the center of his face. And all those little things you get so caught up on because it has to be right. And, again, if there's anything else in this world, when you're a quality controller GA, you're the low man on the totem pole trying to prove your work. You're no different than the mailman who delivers mail in the, in the, in the office on some major uh, – trading firm on Wall Street. You're the low man on the total bowl trying to climb, 
And the only way you do that is with hard work. So that, that, that all goes into it. But, you know, uh, Al Golden, we used to say this all the time, Al Golden, who we were both with, was at Miami now with the Lions, tight end coach, he'd always say, if you don't like breaking down tape and watching tape, you're not going to last very long in, as a coach. You're just not. And that goes for scouting, personnel in the NFL. You better like to watch film. And the challenge of it is, and the gratifying thing is, when you know you've gotten it right, or you're sitting in a film room, and I, I, John Gruden wrote this in his book when he was talking about his time as a GA at Tennessee. He used to feel so good and he used to feel a lot of validation and gratification when he'd break something down and the coach would say, hey, this is a good job, this looks right, or I think you're right, John. Like that, that always stuck with me reading his book about that because that's true. When you're a young QCGA, you're trying to climb, you're not making six, seven figures. This is how you make your bones. This is how you get there is by proving your work and doing a good job and being thorough and not being dismissive of these things. Because, like I said, over 30 columns, and they got to be right. And at any point, if you say, like, we have a simple column at Morgan where it's pressure or non-pressure. So if I wanted to just very quickly see all plays and know we're playing Holy Cross or the Eagles are playing the Redskins, I want to know the percentage of the Redskins' pressure, the defensive coordinator. So I just go to that and quickly stat pressure versus non-pressure and 60 versus 40 or whatever, or man or zone. Middle field open or closed. And so much of a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator teaching a quarterback where the ball needs to go is middle of field open or middle of field closed. And I learned that from Mike Laxley, who was one of the best quarterback coaches in the country. Who was in, I was a GA for for three years in Maryland. One of the best quarterback coaches simplifying middle of field open, middle of field closed, and that's where the ball needs to go. And that's once you understand that, when you understand what middle of field closed, middle of field open is, that's when you can then graduate to – you know, all the simple passing game concepts, the free access, mesh content, all the stuff that, you know, Philadelphia fans love to hear about from the, the reporters and all that. But you don't get to that as a coordinator unless the QC does a good job breaking it down correctly. So, so. We, you mentioned some examples of the cut-ups. And just to give fans a little bit of background, the reason why they're called cut-ups is way back in the day, and some would say the good old days, uh, when everything was shot on actual film and the coaches, just like Travis said, if they want to see all the pressures, the video coordinator, some of the assistant coaches, I'm sure I don't know if they even had GAs and QC coaches even that, that far back when they used to do this, but they would have to go into the film room and literally cut the film off the reel and stitch it back together. So if you wanted to see all of the blitzes on third down, they would go in and say, all right, there's a third down blitz. Let me, you know, snip, snip. All right, cut that. All right, let's paste this from from this game against Dallas, okay? And they'd string together a reel of film, and this would be the cut-up of third down pressures. So let me ask you this, Trav. Uh, you get through the 30 columns of data uh, on however many games. Real quickly, how many games go into a typical breakdown? So it all depends. Uh, it really just depends on you. You're always looking for – Everyone always talks about it's a copycat league, right? And that's, that's, you hear that on ESPN every day. So where you really see that is, so like when you're looking at the games, you're looking for like-minded offensive people. So Doug Peterson is a West Coast guy. So I imagine when the Eagles are getting ready to play uh, any team in the NFL, Doug's going to prop, Coach Peterson's probably going to look at um, other West Coast-type offenses that have played them. So a running, so, when does, so the Eagles, when they're getting ready to play the Rams or whatever, it's, uh, watching uh, the 49ers and their new offense probably won't help the Eagles very much in terms of tempo and some of the things they do. The Eagles are probably more apt to look at you know, maybe the, the New York Giants or another team that runs a similar offense, a West Coast style, because they're going to get similar, similar. You want to look at tape 
that has similar personnel groupings, um, similar methods of attacking people, similar strengths and weaknesses of, of you know quarter similar quarterbacks, similar running backs, just similar ways of approaching attacking a defense. Um, and you also want to look at teams that had success. So if a team thrashes uh, the Bears 47 to nothing, hell yeah, you're going to want to watch that offense tackle them because that's where the copycatness comes into it. You're all, you're going to look at you're going to look at the uh, probably four four to six four to seven or eight games uh, the last the most recent four to six games that really fit your offense. And if you're playing them in week 15, 16, 17 at the end of the year, you'll go back to the beginning of the season and pull things from situations like red zone, third down, two minutes, goal line, short yardage, four minute offense, and trying to run the clock out. But you won't break down all 16 games because teams change over the course of three or four months. But you'll look at in, 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 in entirety the most recent four to six games that really fit you offensively. And then you'll go back all the way to the beginning, middle of the year to pull things that fit your situational cut-ups that you have that you always want to know because those things don't generally change. But like I said, you're going to always look to get the four to six most recent games that fit you offensively in their entirety. So, so you're Doug Peterson, you're Frank Reich, you're you know, on the other side of the ball, you're Jim Schwartz. How do you take this data, you take these cut-ups, and how do you leverage that now into game day? And you, you, Everyone knows you, you watch the coaches on the sideline and they've got their cards. They, you know, they've got uh, their play sheets that they're going off of. How does the data that, uh, that you get from those cut-ups and what it all starts in those breakdowns and the hours spent in the film room breaking down the tape by the QC coaches, how does that then transfer onto those game sheets for game day for all the coaches and their calling plays? What do those game sheets typically look like? What goes into them? So the funny thing about a call sheet is, in most ways, a call sheet that you see, like the big things that like, like Coach Reed used to have, people used to make a joke about how big it was and all that. But the thing about the call sheet is, that thing is like a linear timeline of the entire week. Because uh, most of the call sheets I've been around, on the left, when you first look at it on the front on the left, the majority of that is like your normal downs. And what I mean by that, that's your first and second down you're removed of any game situation. So it's P and 10 on a minus 25-yard line, first play of the game, first quarter, second quarter. There's no situation attached. It's normal first and second down between the 20s, uh, regular football. And you're, it's usually set up by formation. Like what formations does the offensive coordinator like versus what formations on game plan look. So when you show up on the first day of a game plan session, so Tuesday in the NFL is, Usually the players day off, and the coaches are all going to sit sitting there and just game plan for 12, 14, 16 hours. Well, they're going to show up, and they're going to look at normal downs, and they're going to look at all their core personnel groupings and formations, and they're just going to watch the cutups organized. So they're going to open up, I don't know, uh, 11 personnel tight end in line, two by two. So a two by two tight end in line, they're going to watch that set, and they're going to watch all 30, 40 plays or whatever that is, and it's going to be sorted by defensive frequency, so they're going to be able to see a very clear picture of what is Dallas going to line up in that. So the Eagles they can get a very clear picture of what the, what their opponent is going to line up in. They can say, do we like this set? Do we hate it? Where are our matchups? Do we like it? Do we have a matchup where Zach Ertz can block this defensive end? Or do we have inside zone? Or do we have a play action or a naked or a bootleg? Everything. Do we have what we want? And then they'll move on to 20 personnel and 10 personnel 21, 22, whatever personnel groupings they want, they're going to get into all, they're going to watch all those normal down sets on the first day of the week. 
And by the end of the day, 7, 8 o'clock at night, they can pretty much meet with Carson Wentz or Sam Bradford or, or Daniels or any, their offense and say, here's our normal down, here's our base game plan. Here's what we think we're going to be really good at. Here's our strengths. Here's how we're going to attack them in normal downs football this week. So we'll do that. And by the end of the day, they might be able to get into, you know, most people will then get into third down. From base game plans, again, the third down, where they'll basically watch all the third down cut-ups, so third and 11 plus, third and seven to 10, third and four to six, third and one to three, and then third and one, but to get their game plan by, you know, what are they in third and seven to 10? Is there going to be a high cover one? Do we need to run mesh concepts, um, option routes? Do we want to get an empty? How do they align the empty in that uh, set in section? Third and, third and seven to 10 or third and 11 plus is a big Tampa two, so we want to run an inside high-low uh, concept where we're high low on a mic back or we want to throw four verts opposite Mike linebacker dropping. All those little things go into uh, watching that, all those little breakdowns. Then from third down, you're going to get into red zone where you're going to, most people are 20 to 16, 15 to 11, 10 to 6, and 5 to 1. And then goal line, um, four minutes, two minutes, backed up. So what do we got to do when the ball's in the minus one yard line, the minus five to fall out? All the little sections of situational football. So you always hear people like the Mel Kuypers and the Fran Duffy's of the world getting ready for drafts talking about football intelligence and you know football awareness. Well, understanding situational football and game planning it, that all goes into it. Um, so that's that's kind of how the week goes. Where the Tuesday you get into base football, Tuesday night you start getting into situational football. Where Wednesday, Thursday, basically by the end of Thursday, the game plan for the most all intents and purposes is done. Friday, the coaches are doing their tests and tips, their reminders, their final scouting reports. Or Saturday, I've heard a lot of NFL guys who I've coached with at college, college ranks who've been in the NFL say, Saturday, you're kind of chilling. You can watch your alma mater play on national TV. Or I remember listening to Matt Rule when he was with the Giants. He went to a Temple Army game on a Saturday before going to the Giants Hotel. So Saturday, the day before a game, is kind of a, a relaxation mode. You've put in the work, and that's why I said, I joked about earlier, where the GAs at, at Temple in Maryland used to always say Thursday and Friday were the one chance we got to relax the day before leading up to the game because that, the work's done in the, those 72 hours between Tuesday and Thursday or Monday and Wednesday or Thursday in college. So, But it's very regimented. I, I would want fans to know it's very regimented. The head coach sets the tempo. The head coach always sets the tempo and gives the coordinators a little leeway, but the coordinators and head coaches set, hey, you know, Monday from 9 to 12 we're doing this. Uh, take a lunch break, get a quick workout in, uh, go get lunch, play, pick up basketball for half an hour, whatever. But then from one to six, we're going to finish normal downs, and then six to seven, we'll meet with our quarterbacks and get our base game plan installed. Seven to nine in college, maybe we'll do some recruiting phone calls, or we'll move on to third down in the NFL, whatever. But it's very regimented, but it has to be organized. It's got to be efficient, but it all goes back to QC and GAs doing their job right. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, it's interesting uh, just to hit on all that. But Travis, the the one thing I like to do with with players, former players, and also with coaches, whenever they come on the podcast, is get into something very, very position specific. And I want to do that in our segment called Two Technique. Let's c- talk about the three step drop. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. All right, Trav, so in a, in a three-step drop, and obviously you coach the quarterbacks down in Morgan, this is the time of year when coaches all around the country are working on their position manuals, and I know that you're covering the three-step drop in your position manual down there at Morgan. So 
Uh, just teach the listeners what goes into a three-step drop for a quarterback. What does it look like from start to finish? Okay, so generally, you know, quarterback play, it's always going to start with the stance, under center. And obviously, Philadelphia, you know, that, that's a big deal because it's going to be a lot of under center stuff. So, um, you know, it's a big thing for me. Is, and, the, and the thing about, the thing I always tell people about techniques and the whole thing about Bill Belichick talking about how, you know, a football coach can coach anything. And a lot of techniques in quarterback play, believe it or not, are very similar to O-line play, wide receiver play, tight end play, running back play. A lot of these same coaching points and buzzwords are very similar. So, you know, I coached the O-line at Morgan last year, and I'm coaching quarterbacks now. But when I talk about O-line and quarterback getting in the stance, I'm talking about getting, you know, in a, getting in a comfortable stance where you're a little bit, your feet are a little bit more than shoulder width apart. Your feet have to be per- perfectly parallel to one another and perpendicular, kind of 90 degrees to the line of scrimmage. Um, a quarterback, if you're a right-handed quarterback uh, or a left-handed quarterback, you're going to have, I, I like to have a little bit of a stagger. So I'm right-handed. I, I was a right-handed quarterback at, at Temple. And then, you know, as a coach, I'm right-handed. So I'm coaching everything from a right-handed bias. So I'm going to want to have my left foot, which is my non-dominant foot, in a toe-to-instep relationship with my right foot. So I'm going to have my left foot, my left toe, will be on an instep relationship. So if I drew a straight line between my left toe, big toe, to the instep of my right foot, it would be a, a slight stagger. And any, if I'm dropping back or I'm going to hand the ball off to my right, I want to have all my, mental, all my weight mentally should be shifted to the instep of my left foot so I can push off that and get maximum depth in my three-step drop. So in O-line play, I'm always talking about I don't want a fall step or quarterbacks don't want a fall step. Or wideouts, you don't want to fall step in, and when you roll over your front toe to run a route. So I talk about as a quarterback in three step, all my weight if I'm dropping back to have all my weight should be on my left foot so I can push off and get maximum depth off the line of scrimmage. Understanding that O line three step protection generally is very firm. It's a gap throw. Uh, many people cut, many people chop at the line, or they gap throw, or they firm throw. It's protection. So. Quarterback, if you don't get a lot of depth in your first step, be prepared to break your hand on the back of a helmet or get sacked by a defensive lineman if there's a mental error by no lineman who doesn't do his job. So, first coaching point, toe, left toe should be in a nice in-step relationship with your right foot. All your weight should be mentally on your left foot. You need to push off for maximum depth off the line of scrimmage. That is your big footwork, okay? I want the ball. You know, the big thing about three-step is quarterbacks, you kind of know where the ball is going three-step. Whether it's too high, one high, tightest flat defender, if it's too high, quarter, cover two, or quarter, quarter, half, or one high, you know, you're kind of working a matchup deal or tightest flat defender. Um, you know, you, you kind of know where the ball is going. But when you get that first step, you know, you're kind of going you're gonna, to you're gonna tuck your chin if you know the ball is going to your left. If it's going to your right, you want your shoulder pointing straight at the middle of the field so you're not telegraphing where the ball is going. But your second step is where you'll kind of start, you'll open your shoulder a little, or you'll close it. If you're going to your right, you'll start closing your shoulder a little. If you're going to your left, you'll open it a little and keep your shoulder, your chin tucked to your front shoulder. Your second and third step are smaller gather steps that allow you to come to balance. You're still gaining ground, but they're not as big because you can't have, if your steps are too big, you're going to, your shoulders, your, your base will be outside of the framework of your body, and your back shoulder will dip. And then you're going to have a windup, and you're going to have a you're going to pat the ball, and bad things are going to happen. So you don't want to dip your back shoulder; that that becomes a hitch in your windup. So your second and third step allow you to gather. Your third step 
is really no different than when you're an O-lineman and you're, and you're we all, Steve Adazio, who's the head coach of Boston College, used to always talk about punching the ground, driving attention. And Greg Sidrawa, who's the best offensive line coach in college football at Ohio State, talks about this too, is where it's a short, choppy, sit-in step where you're driving. I see the rubber in the turf punching up off the ground. So you're punching the ground on that third step as a quarterback, and it should open on a 45 at the position where you're going. So if, if you're throwing over your left shoulder, you should punch the ground on a 45 so your 45-degree angle should allow you to be parallel with where you're going with the ball. If you're punching the ground. It should open on a 45 to your right if it's going to allow you to get your shoulders and hips open to it. And then that gets from there, it gets into all the throwing mechanics and all the stuff that, truth be told, all the throwing mechanics that you hear, it's so overrated. But general, you know, general coaching points there is you don't want to drop your elbow. The ball, the elbow should be at your arm and elbow should be at 90 degree, 90 degree plane relative to your shoulder. You want to, you, you don't want to hang your, your off arm. You want to drive it down in a way to create torque and power. If you got to keep a good front knee bend, if you lock your front knee out, you're going to, you're going to lock your arm out. You're going to lock your knee out. Balls are going to get overthrown or underthrown based on how long you've stride that. You always want to keep a good knee bend. You want to keep a good stride with your front leg, good lead leg that doesn't over or under stride, and you want to get your eyes right on where you're going. If you're looking at the guy's belt buckle or his hip, the ball's going to go on the ground. If you're looking at the V of his neck, it's like no different than anything else in sports. The ball will go wherever your eyes are, and you want to keep a good balance stride with a good front lead knee, knee bend so you can get your back hip through, drive your off arm down, snap your, snap your wrist, snap your fingers down and in and down and away. They call it that ripple, the whiplash. They always talk. You always hear quarterback coach talk about down and away, like you're throwing a screwball in baseball. It's kind of the opposite of throwing a fastball, which is part of why pitchers sometimes struggle mechanically as a quarterback. And then you want to follow through, and your eyes will take the ball right where it's going. And I'll say this: I'd be remiss if I, I said shotgun. You know, shotgun, three, shotgun, three-step drop is a whole different beast in that the whole mentality of shotgun. And we and Mike Laxley talked about this at Maryland. It's catch, set, throw. As a quarterback, you're not dropping back. If a quarterback drops back in a three-step from shotgun, the shotgun snap is the three-step drop. So you know as a quarterback, you know, same deal. You know where the ball is going in three steps. You're catching the ball. You're getting your quarterback. You're getting in your, in your good uh, base, quarterback base, good shoulder, shoulder width apart, good knee bend. The ball should be right at your back pack. If you're lefty, you take your left pack. If you're righty, you take your right pack. Two hands on the ball, elbows tight. Uh, ball should be right at, your, right at your pack, like I said. It should be comfortable, neat. Elbows shouldn't be out. The ball is just right there, and it's boom. You're flipping your hips. You're punching the ground with your with your back foot on a 45 where it's going, and you're attacking it with everything we talked about with a good lead step, knee bend. But it's catch the ball. Ball is right in the lock attack position, and you are throwing it. It's on time. You don't have time to hold the ball in three steps. If you hold the ball, you will get hit. You will get sacked. Bad things will happen. So the whole mentality as a quarterback coach, I talk about my guys, catch, set, throw in shotgun. If it's all hitches, you know where the ball's going. Boom, you're catching the snap. You're punching the ground in the direction, and you're flipping your hips, and you're delivering the ball on time. And maybe you have time for a second progression, like in a stick concept, in a stick, an all-American three-by-one stick concept, which, I, which I'm, I'd, bet, I'd bet $100 the Eagles will run the hell out of it this year in their new West Coast offense. It's catch the ball. If the quarterback's moving to his right, he's got to flip his hips, punch the ground, 
and he's got to get his eyes on that flat defender and make a decision, boom, just like that, very quickly. Ball's going to go into the arrow route or the stick concept, or occasionally, by game plan, it could be the turkey hole if you're playing a cover two team where you're going to bang it to number one in that 18 to 20, 12 to 18 to 22 yard window in the cover two turkey hole, which is what guys like Matt Rule, when he was the offensive coordinator at Temple, talked about hitting the turkey hole. Boom, that little window on a, a stick concept, which you do see every once in a blue moon. But it's very quick, man. It's a catch-set-throw mentality where you're getting your eyes on the flat defender or the Mike linebacker or the matchup throw that you want by game plan. That if you Again, it all goes back to the quality control coach doing his job right. The coordinator can do his job right and teach the quarterback, hey, it's catch-set-throw. Get your, get your, we know it's 75% of the time it's going to cover one, so you're working your matchup in the stick concept where if you got a, if you got an all-pro tight end like Zach Ertz, you're letting you're gonna let him win his route and make money. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's how it all works together. It goes from the QC doing his job right all the way to the point where the quarterback coach can teach his quarterback to do his technique right and have confidence in it so they've done the game plan and know where it's going. Travis, really awesome stuff. I appreciate you once again coming on here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast to teach listeners about some of the fundamentals of the quarterback position. We started with the game plan aspect, but then also talking about the three-step drop. Really appreciate you coming on. We'll have you on again next offseason to talk more about quarterback fundamentals right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Thanks for having me, man. I told you it was going to be good. I hope you stay put for all of that Travis was able to provide because that was some really informative stuff. To sum it all up, Here's how the game plan comes together. You have those quality control coaches, those QC coaches or the GAs, the graduate assistants at the college level. They watch all of the game film. and They complete these breakdowns of every game. They input loads of data into the coaching video system. So if a coach wants to pull up a playlist with examples of all the opponent's blitzes on third down, he can get it. If he wants all of the opponent's run plays from 21 personnel down in the red zone on first down, he can get it. If he wants to get all the six-man blitzes in the fourth quarter from third and long out of nickel sub-packages, he can get it. You get the idea. You can get as broad or as granular as you want with these playlists. And again, they're called cut-ups. So you can get as granular as you want with these cut-ups, and that allows the coaches to then build the game plan off of that. So the coaches go through all these cut-ups, and like Travis said, they'll start early in the week with regular downs, so first and second down. Then they'll transition to third down and then into situational football, so red zone and backed up, so on and so forth. And in all of these situations, when they see what their opponents do in all those different cases, they go back into the playbook and say, okay, what do we have in our arsenal that works against what they like to do on offense or defense? So when Doug Peterson gets to third and long on Sunday from the 17-yard line, Coach is already going to have a good sense of what the defense is going to show based off of probability. His QC coaches may show that when it's third and long or you know third and eight or longer, the defense is some sort is going to show some sort of a five man pressure with cover one behind it. So his third down playlist is already on his call sheet on game day. He's going to have seven, eight plays, we'll say, uh, that he can pick from for third and long. And that will all be based off of those percentages, which all starts with that film breakdown that happens in the weeks leading up to the game. And he'll, he'll pick a play that can beat that type of defensive call. And that happens on every single play of every single game from both sides of the ball. So it's really, really interesting to watch all of that play out on film week in and week out. And I really appreciate Travis for coming on and explaining that. And again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do at Coach T Manger. And while you're at it, I'm at FW3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that gets produced here 
at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. The other is to just go on to, to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to the show, and just give us a comment, leave us a rating, and that's the best way to, to really reach the show. And, and really appreciate everybody that continues to do that week in and week out. But all that being said, I think that's going to do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. Thanks again to Travis for coming on and listening, and thanks to you for listening on iTunes and Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week after the holiday.